0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Is it even possible for us to over-celebrate the resurrection? To make too much of this day that the church gathers celebrating that jesus christ is alive that he lives now it was a little it was a little cooler here in michigan this morning for the sunrise i checked when i got up i said you know what would actually be the temperature in jerusalem today if we were there 77 degrees when i got up this morning It was not 77 degrees this morning, but nevertheless, there were a few hearty faithful out there uh, with the the geese. And uh, just, just enjoying this day, celebrating that Jesus Christ is alive. We have to understand something, loved ones. The resurrection is not an afterthought. It is not just an occasional, you know, well, that's a nice day. It's not a minor aspect of our faith. Have you ever baked something and forgot an ingredient? And then afterwards, you're just kind of working with like, what did I forget? What did I forget? I I know I must have forgot something. Imagine baking a cake and you just forgot the flour. You're not going to have to wonder too much what you forgot. It's not going to be a cake. It's just going to be a mess, flat mess. Christianity without the resurrection You don't have Christianity. The resurrection is the gospel's cornerstone. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and he's writing to believers, he's writing to Christians, he says, if we, in Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, okay. and there are some who think that, that, well, Christians, and they have this, and it's a crutch, and it helps you through this life, and and the Buddhists, they have things that help them through life, and the Hindus, and and go through all that everybody has, and they're on their own road, and, and this is just, you know, Christianity. Paul says, no. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If we have made a big deal of someone being alive from the dead and he's not alive from the dead, then list any religion or people group and at the front of the ignorant line, Paul is saying, put the Christians. Because if there is no resurrection, then what is Paul saying? Then there's no forgiveness of sins. If there's no resurrection, then there's no possible salvation. If there's no resurrection, there's no eternal life. If there is no resurrection, there is no abiding hope. And if there is no resurrection, there is no unfailing hope available to anyone. Nothing to sing about. Buy into the mantra then, you live once, So live it up. Get all you can. But there is a resurrection. So all of those things that come through the gospel, all through Christ, are available to all of humanity. Will you go in your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? This is a significant chapter, Paul's magnificent chapter on the resurrection. Paul writes to the church and he loved this church. This church had so many problems, the Corinthian church. He finally gets to switch the theme. Chapter 15, we went through this study some years ago. 14 chapters he's been, and there's another thing, and there's another thing, and about the Lord's table, and about all all of these things that were going on in the church, and when chapter 15 opens, it's like the sunrise, and he says, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. you believed. Father, this is your word and you the Bible says that the entrance of your word gives light. So I pray that you will do that today that you would honor and bless your word. Help me to make it clear. Help me to make it plain to just simplify and put it right out there what is the gospel and how do we respond to this word? For the honor and glory of Jesus, we pray, amen. Paul begins this section, and it's much, it sounds much of what parenting is. Don't you wish you could uh, tell your kids one time to do something and they just have it? They just locked it up, got it? That's not parenting. How many times have I told you? But if we think just for a moment, we probably heard our parents telling us the very same thing as we were growing up, right? And Paul, like a, like a parent like a shepherd, like a faithful pastor, he's writing to these Corinthians that he loves and he's reminding them. And so that's the heading. We're just going with Paul's four reminders here. What is he reminding them of? We're reminded to remember. Don't forget, right? That's me in the grocery store. I have to tell my wife, text me the list because I forget it. And I find everything else that she didn't send me for And I come home with everything, but the very thing that she asked me to go. So we're reminded to remember, don't forget to remember. And that's what Paul is saying, four truths. Number one, the the relevance of the resurrection. Hey, don't forget the relevance of the resurrection. Remember the relevance. The truth of the resurrection is enduring and it will never go out of style. If the Lord gives us one more year, then next year we're not going to have to update anything on the resurrection. We're not going to have to invent anything different to to sell it. it. It is. It's a reality. So we just tell the story. It's forever relevant. And this is what Paul is getting at. The gospel must be proclaimed, loved ones. It must be told. It must be shared. And Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, so he's writing to fellow believers the Christians there in Corinth, I'm reminding you of the gospel I preached to you. Tell this story. Paul's made this transition. Now he's finally getting back to. I want to go back to the, to the jewel of Christianity. I want to go back to the good things that we can share and rejoice in that bring unity. Paul preached to them, or he proclaimed this gospel when he came to the Corinthians. That's what he did when he came to town. He had one main driving passion, tell the story of Jesus. Reveal the law, we've all failed, we've all sinned, and here is the cure for humanity's sin problem, it's Jesus. That's what he came doing. He was doing exactly what the church is always to be doing. And by the church, I don't just mean me. It's the church, all who belong to Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, go like light in the darkness, like salt coming out of a shaker. That's what we're called to do. Jesus said it in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.'" teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Can't do this on our own, loved ones. We cast a seed and God is the one who opens the heart, who opens spiritually blind eyes. If you are here and you are in Christ, it's because God opened your eyes. To how bad you are and how good he is. You have to have both. The gospel must be communicated in words. I'm not sure who came up with that statement. I've known it one time, I've forgotten it. You know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That's just not biblical. You can't share the gospel just by being good. It doesn't communicate the message of sin and a savior by just being a nice neighbor, a good coworker, It doesn't share the message. If you have a medical issue and you go to a hospital, you do not just want nice medical personnel in the hospital. You need people who are kind and truthful with you. Tell me what my options are. Tell me what my problem is, and tell me how I can be cured. This gospel is relevant for you, and this gospel is relevant for me, and this gospel is relevant to everyone who is alive. So Paul came, he came preaching this gospel, he proclaimed the gospel, he told this message, but then he reminds them that this gospel must be received, which you receive. So he said, I preached this message to you. I proclaim this message, and you received this message. You, you took it to heart. Um, when Joseph was told, Mary, your betrothed wife, you're not married yet, you haven't consummated this wedding yet, these vows, but that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. So take her, Joseph, and he took her to himself. In other words, I'll be identified with her. I will remain with her. I will not put her aside. I will be associated with her. And this is what Paul says. I came and I preached this message and you receive to be identified with this message. You believe this message. You turn from your sins and they trusted their their everything to Jesus Christ and him alone. Paul wrote similarly to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.12. He says this, and and he describes their condition before they heard the gospel, before they came to know Christ. And he said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ? So he's writing to Gentiles. These are not physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob like many of us here today. You were separated. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. And where does that leave anyone? Having no hope and without God in the world. That is a dismal place to be. And that is exactly where we all were until someone came and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was someone at church. Maybe it was, who knows, a grandparent. Maybe it was your child maybe it was your spouse, and they came and they shared the gospel with you. That's what Paul did when he went to Corinth. He shared the gospel and they heard the message, and they didn't just hear with their ears, they heard with their hearts. This gospel must be proclaimed, it must be received, and Paul is reminding them now as a church, this gospel must remain central And he says this, in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. He's giving them some pause to think about. He's giving the person who says, oh, I I said those things. I I prayed when I was, you know, I camped a kid and I prayed. Has there been a change in your life? Well, no, there's not really been any change, but I did this religious thing. Paul is dealing with these individuals that it isn't just the gospel that saves us and now we move on to the rest of scripture in life. We stay, we abide, we remain in the gospel. No one can help you, by being saved for you, by praying for you in place of you. You can't be, I can't be baptized for somebody or, or give something in their name and it do any spiritual good for them. This is between you and the father in heaven. And there's only one way to be reconciled to this God who is holy and it's through the son that he provided through Jesus Christ, the only savior. And so Paul is saying right at the outset of this, this you know, often mocked and scorned and despised message, the resurrection, it must remain central because it's true. We're so in danger of forgetting this. I mean, maybe it's not you, maybe it's just me. I can get busy. I can get watching the news. I can be trying to think of all the things that need to be done. I haven't gotten done. I should have, know, all these different things. And suddenly, the resurrection, the gospel, Christ. Oh, we've got to get here, and we've got to go there, and all of these things that can cram our schedules and our minds and our hearts, and we forget, so what are we doing that constantly keeps the resurrection, the gospel before us? It's gathering, it's what we're doing right now. It's what the church does every week. It's what we did last Sunday when Jesus said, remember me, do this in remembrance of me, and we hold those elements in our hand, and we're reminded Jesus shed his blood and he offered his body for me, a sinner, Remember this, remember me, remember me, remember me. Why does Jesus have to tell us that? Because I forget. And I make things about me. Instead of, is this really? Oh, I say it is, but is this really all about the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you offend me if I'm just surrendered to Jesus Christ who was slaughtered in my place? So we strive together, we strive together for unity, and we trust the process that God has ordained. Through the gospel, loved ones, when someone hears the message and they repent and they receive the message, then what is happening? They have been saved, past tense that means they're delivered from the penalty of sin they will not spend eternity separated from god in a place called hell they have been saved and then paul says you're being saved this is the work that god is doing in us right now is that i am not yet in case you didn't know this if anyone is wondering i'm not yet like jesus christ in all thoughts attitudes and actions newsflash i'm sorry if i let you down okay My family would attest to this. Okay, so this is a work that is ongoing in my life. I still have bad thinking. I still have wrong motives. And he is changing me. He's remolding me. And listen, he doesn't wait for me to clean my act up, and then he'll he'll put a down payment on me. He saves me. He is saving me. And then one day, he will take me from the very presence of sin, and that will be with him, and he'll finish the work and he will save me. You understand that? That's the three parts of salvation, that when someone turns from their sin and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, saved, it's a done deal, adopted, redeemed into the family of God, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, never to be in question again if they are truly born again. And then that work of sanctification is from that moment till till the day that he returns or we die. It's a work in progress, but he will finish the work. And one day he'll save us from the very presence of sin. That's what Romans 8 deals with. A wonderful chapter. Somebody I know is preaching through that chapter every now and then in this pulpit right here. Not only is this gospel and the resurrection relevant, but it's important. That's the second thing that Paul moves to the importance of the resurrection. And we see this in verses 3 and 4. So I say it again, this this event, this day, this this Sunday is the pinnacle of the church's calendar. It's not the only day we celebrate the resurrection, but it is a high day. It is a reminding day. You know, if if I'm raunchy to my wife all year, but on her birthday, like, hey, it's your birthday, and I'm nice, okay, okay but it is kind and thoughtful to put that together with something, a gift, an expression of love on a, on a special day. This is a unique day. And so Paul is stating the importance here. Don't forget the importance of the resurrection, that the gospel has been entrusted, he says. And he says this in verse three, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also, and this is an important word now. He, didn't, he doesn't say what I thought up, He doesn't say what I invented. You know, out in a cave, an angel met with me, and voila, here we go. This is what I thought of. Who's in? That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, I received something from the Lord, and guess what I handed off to you? And everywhere he went, the gospel, the very same thing. I didn't edit it, change it, try to improve it or take from it. I simply just gave it. Here's the gospel. The gospel has been entrusted. Paul wasn't there that first resurrection morning. Who was there? Women. They were the first ones there. Paul said, I missed it. Wherever he was in Judaism, he was hitting the snooze button on that day. He missed it. This gospel has been entrusted it's the main point of Paul's ministry and he was a faithful steward. He cared deeply for all that he met, sharing the gospel with them. The gospel must be understood. Paul, what are you talking about? What exactly is the gospel? And you can hear Paul almost saying, "In case you forgot, my loved, beloved Corinthian stubborn people, let me remind you again. Let me remind you of this gospel." that Christ died for our sins. You have to understand this. Corinthians, understand this. People from in and around Richmond, you have to understand this. Wherever somebody is watching from online today, this gospel must be understood that Jesus Christ, he died for our sins. The sinless lamb of God was slain for sinners. He was hung suspended on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem. He was suspended between heaven and earth, between a holy God and sinful man. He suffered and he died for you and for me. This was not a plan gone bad. This wasn't an influential teacher that, yeah, they ended up turning on him and, and it, it turned south quickly. This was the plan of God before anything was ever made. And sometimes we say, well, why suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Why would he do this? Well, one, I'm not God, so I don't have all the answers to these questions. But I will tell you this, without me understanding my own depravity and sinfulness, I, when you, if, if somebody would try to describe to me mercy, I wouldn't have any reference to, to, to to measure that off of my perspective. Mercy for what? If I'm fine and good and dandy, then why do I need mercy? It's a meaningless term unless I say I deserve death and I deserve hell. But instead of receiving what I justly deserve, Jesus died in my place to show me mercy. Now I have a now I have an understanding of Now I I can process what mercy is. And without sin and without suffering, how would we understand God's mercy? And how would we understand the extent of his love that he would send his one and only son to suffer for those who are not worthy? You and me. The Romans crucified thousands of people. That was their tactic to put fear into the hearts of everyone. If, they're, you know, if you were in their world, that was the risk. If you rise up against them, that'll, that'll be your end. And everybody will walk by your naked body on a, on a cross. That, that was what they threatened everybody with. So this wasn't just one crucifixion, but this crucifixion was unique, drastically unique. Isaiah 53, five, long before crucifixion was ever invented, by the Romans, the prophet prophesized hundreds of years before, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now, some would take that and say, so a Christian should never be sick. That's not why Jesus died. The healing that he's speaking of here, this prophet, is not that we are never sick or there's something wrong with us if we're sick. Our deepest, our greatest issue, our problem is our sin problem, and that's why Jesus came. The psalmist, we were to here together yesterday, men, in our time of study and prayer, Psalm twenty-two seventeen. 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them. And from my clothing, they cast lots. And loved ones, the Romans weren't up to date on their Bible study. And they said, you know, it says in Psalm 22 that we need to be gambling for Jesus' garments. So who's up? Who's in? Hey, they were not robots at the foot of the cross. I guess we got to fulfill this prophecy. They were simply carrying out their human desire and greed for those garments, for that robe that Jesus wore. And long before, which is the way God sees time, not like you and me, it was foretold this will happen precisely, and it did. Daniel nine twenty six, and after the sis- 62 weeks, an anointed one, there's the term for Messiah, shall be cut off, that is, put to death, and shall have nothing. It looked like a complete, dismal failure that Friday night. Where is Where's his following now? Where is his army now? John 19, verse 33, "'But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead,' They did not break his legs. So remember the, the word, the Passover, it's almost sundown. We're not gonna have any bodies suspended on the crosses. So let's go make sure they're dead and bring them off the, off the cross. We gotta, you know, make sure we fulfill the law here. They missed the one about you shall not murder. That happens often in religion, blinded by our own self-righteousness. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear And at once, there came out blood and water. He was already dead. what did he say? No one's gonna take my life from me. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it back. That's what God does. There's no other king that's done that. But this is a unique king, this is the savior king. He was buried. Yes, he was crucified, Christ died, and he was buried. Well, we think he just maybe swooned on the cross, some will say. This is the time of year, all these articles and all these magazines and TV shows. Oh, you know, Jesus faked it. That's what he did. He faked it, and they brought him off the cross. You know, those Roman soldiers with all the world watching, they just put the leftover soldiers on duty that day. You really think so? No, they they had people who knew what they were doing. He was dead, but the swoon theory, oh, he just faked it, and his disciples got him somewhere, and they resuscitated him, and then, you know, here we go. That's a message you'll die for? We saved our Savior. Our hero, I bailed him out. I don't think there's a movie that sells well on that plot line. No, he laid down his life and he took it back up again. He was buried and he rose from the dead. He rose again. This is the gospel. Christ died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, I don't care who knows now. You can have my family tomb. They placed him him in that tomb, and he rose from the dead that first resurrection morning. Can I ask you the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And then Paul, he just tightens down the screws a little more, and he says this gospel is according to the scriptures. He's just reminding them that this isn't from me. I delivered it to you, I'm entrusted. You are entrusted with this gospel. Think if someone entrusted you with the cure to cancer, with the cure to any disease and they entrusted it to you. And there's a limitless supply that someone is paid for. What would you do with it? Keep it a secret? Paul says, no, I came, I brought to you what was delivered to me. And it's all according to the scriptures. He says it two times, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, all part of God's plan from before the foundation of the world. God delights in saving sinners. Thirdly, the evidence for the resurrection. Paul gives the evidence. He says, this is relevant and it's all, it always will be relevant. A million years from now, around the throne, looking at Jesus, the Lamb who still bears the marks of crucifixion in his body, Revelation tells us, we're still going to be thinking about and consumed with the resurrection. The evidence there's more than enough evidence to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. The primary evidence is the empty tomb the empty tomb each of the gospels they tell the story of the empty tomb Matthew 28:6 he's not here for he is risen as he said the angel says come on in check it out it's where he was you realize that jesus didn't have to roll the stone away to get out the angels rolled away the stone so we would get in wasn't that the question of the ladies Anybody got their protein shake? How are we going to get this you know this, this rock open? All the guys are sleeping. I don't know, but we're going to get there. The angels had it all taken care of. Come on in. This is where he was. He's not here anymore. Mark 16, 6. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here where he was buried. See the place where they laid him? You see it? He's not here. He was crucified, buried. He's, he's alive. Luke 24, 6. He is not here, but has risen. Remember, remember, remember. This is so much of scripture. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee? Remember that? Remember what he said? Um. And we want to sound so, you know, smart, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Then why are you not aware of what I'm telling you? How patient he is the eyewitness testimony of the disciples. And, and you realize the, the, the women that were there, the first ones to see the empty tomb, in, in the first century, they couldn't even, they wouldn't even let a woman testify in court. They so disregarded women that they wouldn't even let them testify in court. They just, this is the thought, they just make up stuff. So you can't trust a woman. And God, in His mercy and sovereign plan, says, "Oh yeah, all right. First witnesses to the Son of God being alive from the dead. Come on, ladies. This isn't how you build a religion on you know reason and smarts and sense and we figure it all out and then I chose to follow God. This is this flies in the face of human pride and reason. This is God knowing." that we stumble over the simplest things, come on, ladies, you'll be the first to tell the message. That's how this gospel message will begin to sound forth to the nations. The most unlikely. Go back to the birth. Shepherds couldn't testify in court either. God has a way of using the most unlikely candidates to do most significant things. The trouble he has using, the people he has using are the ones who are self sufficient and think they have it all together. The humble, he exalts. The proud and arrogant, he puts down. Which type of person are you? Which type of person are we? Then we have the testimony of Jesus' enemies. All right, so it's one thing, all of his disciples, his followers are, are saying there's an empty tomb, but what about the enemies of Jesus? This is where if you have someone who hates you and they, they corroborate your truth, they say the same thing, their confession is saying the same thing as the disciples, now you have a, an, an airtight case. Matthew 28, 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum, bribery, sum of money, to the soldiers, and said, "Tell people, why are they having to have this conversation? He's gone. The tomb is empty. We went in, and yeah, it was sealed, and we were on duty, but I don't know, if something happened lights out. We were on the ground. He's gone. Empty tomb. We have a problem. I think that was long before there was a Houston (laughs) problem. So they come up with a plan. Verse 13, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. That's their plan. Now, let's just work with this for a second. Anybody remember what the disciples were doing when Jesus was in the tomb? They weren't forming any campaigns for bringing Jesus back and just hang on and and get the guitar and get the instruments and all the, you know, let's get there. And we're just going to stare down the soldiers at the tomb because it's coming. Resurrection is coming. That's right, James. That's right, Peter. None of them said that. What are they all doing? Fearing for their lives, hiding out while the women are making their way to the tomb. And the gospel writers don't hide it. They don't make themselves look good. Oh, you know, Peter and I were about to get going. They don't say it that way. They just level. We were back at the farm doing nothing, except knees were shaken, stricken with fear. Thank the Lord for the ladies who went to find out and came and told us. It just rings true if you're an investigator. There's just truth here all over this account. And so they come up with, here's the plan. These ragtag group of guys that are scared out of their minds, the women are out leading at that point, they mustered together some strength in the middle of the night, and they came and they overpowered the guards, and they rolled the stone back, and they took the dead body of Jesus out, and that's that's what happened to them. And verse 14, if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story, Matthew says, has been spread among the Jews to this day. And can I add to a present tense? There's people who still think that. They're just not thinking through that scenario. It makes no sense. So Jesus' disciples, the tomb is empty. Jesus' enemies, the tomb is empty. We have a problem unless you believe that Jesus is alive from the dead, then you don't have a problem. There's numerous eyewitnesses. There's an empty tomb, and that's evidence, and there's numerous eyewitnesses, and Paul begins to list out these eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Christ, and most of these witnesses would pay with their lives. This wasn't a story that was just you know a great story to buy into, and then you can have your best life now. Most of the people who told this story suffered martyrdom in horrific ways, but they couldn't deny the truth of the resurrection. Paul says that Jesus appeared to Cephas in verse 5. That's another name for Peter. Well, who's he? He's the lead denier. Oh, I tell you, not him. No, I'm not one of his. No way. I promise, I swear by heaven, I'm not one of his. And Jesus came and said, hi, Peter. You see where it starts off in this? Like, here's the, would become the the lead preacher on the day of Pentecost. He saw the resurrected Savior. Jesus appeared to the the apostles, verse 5. The 12 is a a name that they were, that they would be known by that group. Uh, Peter preaches about this in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, okay, these these are the religious people that he's talking to, the enemies, the ones who had Jesus killed, crucified. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Uh uh-oh, here we go again. We thought we got rid of this individual. And Peter is saying it has everything to do with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, if you remember a little while back, you crucified. You remember that. And what happened to him, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says this. I mean, Peter is just going. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which, religious leaders, you must be saved. People who are not Jews, they're Gentiles. You must be saved. There's one name. There's one name. There's no other name. And verse 20 says this. Peter's like, hey, listen. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is eyewitness testimony. What we saw, what we heard, we're just telling people. It's true. Jesus appeared. uh, Paul says to more than 500 brothers at one time in verse 6. And Paul is saying, hey, they're still alive. To the Corinthians, you want to you go check it out? Go talk to them. They're still eyewitnesses. Most of them are still alive. Some of them have died, and that's the, that's the language for believers, falling asleep. The sting of death is gone. Death is just an usher to the presence of the Lord. It's lost all of its you know, power. We grieve for those who pass away, our loved ones, but we grieve for our loss, not for their loss. They're, they're with Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. And if this is just something we tell at gravesides to give people comfort and hope for a few years, that's why Paul is saying, then we're crazy. Then the whole world should say, oh, look at those poor people at that graveside of their loved one, and they're saying again, there's a resurrection. Oh, isn't that sweet? But There is. Jesus is alive. Paul says that Jesus appeared to James. Most likely, I would, I would say he's probably talking about the brother of Jesus. Well, who is he? The family of Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. John chapter 7, hey, Jesus, why don't you head on up to the, to the crowd where everybody's going to be. They want to see you. And Jesus says to his brothers, come on, you know, if you're a brother, you know how you talk to your brothers. And Jesus says, actually, it's not my day to die, but it could be yours, brothers. I. until they saw him alive from the dead. And they said, I love my my brother, my Lord, my Savior. Even Mary, my soul has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. His brothers needed a Savior. Jesus was seen by the rest of the apostles over that 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And then Paul comes to this figure, and it's himself. And he would never be the same, and that account is in Acts chapter nine. And that's the third evidence that we have here, and it's transformed lives. So this is the question that we have to do. With this list that Paul just gave us, even with Paul himself, you have to ask the question, what changed them? What happened to them? And what difference does it make to me today? I mean, 2022, does this matter? Absolutely still relevant, and it's important. What about the evidence? Look at the changed lives. Look at the apostles, scared to death, Jesus is nearby, his body anyway, and they're fearing for their lives. And then he's alive, they see him 40 days, ascends back to heaven, he's gone physically from the earth, his spirit comes, and this ragtag group of men and women change the world. And you have to say, what happened? What changed them? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we get to Saul of Tarsus. And he says, I'll read it again, verse 8, and he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. Why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. I was an enemy of the gospel. I was an enemy of the cross. I was an enemy of Christ. And he came and saved me. And do you know why Paul would say that? To simply make me a testimony of his mercy so that there would be no one living in the rest of human time that could ever say, I don't think that Jesus Christ would love and forgive and save me. And every Christian can say, I'm glad you said that because in my Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, right here, would you read that out loud from the guy who wrote most of the New Testament? And Paul says, I'll take this as a badge of grace and mercy that if the Lord can save me, go ahead, tell everybody about me for the rest of time and tell them about my Jesus, tell them about Jesus and what he did for me. He changed my life. The number one enemy of the church is changed into the number one missionary of the church. And you have to say, hey, what happened to the Pharisee Saul of Tarsus? He's saying he saw Jesus, blinded him for a couple days. He was on his road to Damascus. Remember we signed the letters, given him permission. Remember it was after that stoning of Stephen and he was holding all the coats. Remember that guy? Yeah, I remember that guy, but what happened to him? I'm telling you, He's saying Jesus that we crucified and rose. He's saying he's alive and he saw him and he's never been the same and he walked away from all the religious elitism and now he's going everywhere, everywhere Jews, Gentiles, everywhere. He just tells everybody about Jesus. Well, how'd that happen? The resurrection changed his life. There's another individual, and it's not in our text, but another individual that you're familiar with, and his name is John Newton. And John Newton so identified with Paul He's so identified with these verses right here that it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not anything that I have done. It's what he has done in and for and through me. It's all to his grace that John Newton read that and he said, that is so much like me. I was a, he was an African slave trader. He was a womanizer. He was horrific. Read his account. Biography of John Newton. This is on his tombstone. Okay, we're familiar with amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. What does that mean? John Newton explained it. A vile wretch. And this is what it says as he so identified with the Apostle Paul on how desperate of a sinner he was and how great of a Savior came and rescued him. And it says this. This is on his tombstone. John Newton. Once an infidel and libertine a servant of the slaves in Africa. Do you see what happened when he met Jesus? It changed his perspective about racism and people that he used to think to not be people. And then he met Jesus and something happened in him that he began to care about people whose skin color was different than his. And he he walked away from that whole industry and lifestyle and was useful, I will add, in bringing about the end of the slave trade through William Wilberforce. A servant of slaves in Africa was, now listen to how similar this sounds to what Paul is writing, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what he did. He preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed me to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That's what Paul said. And this is what John Newton, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me." What's he saying? You think you're a wretch? Do you, you admit that? There's a savior for you, and his name is Jesus. And the fourth truth is the magnificence of the resurrection. See, this isn't just an obligation. This isn't just an obligation. Oh, I something I have to tell. You know, I mean, it's Easter. I mean, here we are. I said it last week, first Sunday that I began. Uh, with my family serving in this pulpit, in this ministry, uh, 16 years ago, 2006, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Better be able to come up with a message on that day. Well, I guess I have to get in there. You know, somebody's got to give a message. This isn't out of obligation. This is out of love. This isn't a message that we have to tell. There's no greater message that we get to tell that sinners can be forgiven. And so we preach. We preach the gospel of a crucified and risen Savior. We're back to we have to use words. And yes, those should match our lives. And Paul is saying, it's not really about me. It's not really about, you know, who it was that shared the gospel with you. It's the message. The importance is on the message. Paul says, that whether then it was I or they... So we preach and so you believed. We preach Christ. Have you received this message of salvation? Have you believed this gospel? It's not a gospel. It's not one of many gospels. Remember our study in Galatians? There isn't another gospel. There is one gospel. There is one message that brings good news. And it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said Mark 6: Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So we've been studying in Nehemiah. Nehemiah, 400 years before Jesus, he's working on the walls, preparing the city. There's a savior king coming. Jesus came. And AD 70, after they put it all back together, the veil was ripped when Jesus died, opening the way that that man could have access to this holy God through Jesus. And then in Judaism, they put it all back together until AD 70 and the Romans leveled leveled the city. They leveled the temple. They took all the gold off the temple. Christianity is not a come see religion. Christianity is a go tell religion. It's the followers of Christ take this message and you go tell, and I go tell people. Wherever we go, we shine the light. So we don't have to make a pilgrimage, even though it would have been much warmer in Jerusalem. I'll give it today, all right? It would have been much warmer there today. But that's not where salvation is only offered. It came through that region, through Jesus, for the entire world. Go tell this message. We preach. Are we? Faithfully? Faithfully? Humbly, clearly preaching this message. Do I say, Jesus is my Lord? And the follow up question, A- am I obeying him to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation? Well, I call him Lord, Master, but Jesus says, You're not, if you don't do what I say, why do you call me Lord and Master? The ones who can call me Lord and Master are those who are obeying me. My sheep hear my voice. follow me. We preach this gospel, and here's the promise. Some will repent and believe. This is what Paul knew when he went to Ephesus, when he went to Thessalonica, when he went to Athens, when he went to Corinth, wherever he went. I'm going to preach this message, and here's the hope that I have and the knowledge that I have. Someone will repent. Someone will come to faith in Christ. God is the one who opens blind eyes. So this is our message, and it defines our mission when Paul did preach the gospel in Antioch, the Jews rejected it. And many of the Gentiles that day believed. Acts 13 and verse 48. This is what happened, okay? So, so Paul would go and indebted to the Jewish people, he would apply, he would tell them the gospel. And then the Jews rejected it. Get out of here, Paul. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Notice that they did not glorify Paul. They glorified the message that Paul brought to them, the word of the Lord. Not Paul's word, the word of the Lord. And here's the faith and hope and confidence that we have that Paul had. He preached the message. People heard the word of God. They glorified. They began to rejoice. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So you don't have to be afraid of, do I have all the answers to to my loved one's questions? When I have all the answers from the Bible, then I'll tell them the gospel. Never gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Tell what you know. Tell of the goodness and the grace of God. And those whom the Lord has appointed, guess what will happen? Not because of you and not because of me. Because all that the Lord has appointed to eternal life, you know what's gonna happen? They will believe. It's not on you and it's not on me. It's just on us to be faithful and plant the seed, plant the seed, plant the seed. And the Lord is the one who opens blind eyes. Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What are we doing today? Here's the word of Christ. Are you hearing? Are you hearing the God who made you? call to you? Are you hearing the reminder that we've been reminded to remember? Remember. Remember the resurrection. Remember the relevance, the importance, the evidence, and the magnificence of the resurrection. This is what we talk about. Remember what Jesus said to Martha when she was so upset with him outside of the city, and Lazarus, her brother, was dead, and Jesus didn't show up when she said, you should have showed up, and why weren't you here? And Jesus so lovingly, patiently, tenderly He loved her. He did not scold her. He did not shame her. But he loved her and he told her the truth. And he said those beautiful words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone, Martha, and everyone listening today, everyone who lives and believes in me, shall never die. And this is what Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? And this is what we, I'm asking you. Do you believe this? And this is what you have to ask. Do I believe this? I'm not saying that I just checked the box. I believe it. I, I believe it. I'm saying, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Because that's what Jesus is telling Martha. Martha, do you trust me? Why is there there... Resurrection relevant, important, and there's evidence and magnificent because Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Now do you know why we can't make too big of a deal or sing too loud about the resurrection or even sing too long about the resurrection? Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Can we really make too much of, a, too much of Jesus Christ? Can we give him too much? Can we serve him too much? Can we forgive others in, in the honor and name and glory of Jesus too much? No. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Can I ask you this question this morning? Have you ever come to the place that you have admitted your sin to God? God, I am a sinner. Like you just stop doing gymnastics with words. I am a sinner and I deserve to be punished for my sin. But I've heard this message that Jesus Christ came was born of a virgin, and he lived the life I could never live, sinless, and he died the death that I deserve to die, and he was buried, and he rose again, and he ascended, and he's coming again. So I have heard this, and I believe, and I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I surrender to him, and I confess him as Lord. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever come to that place where you stopped rebelling and fighting against the God that made you and you bear his image? The only way that we can be reconciled is through the peace that comes through Jesus. God himself had to make this. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act, to get a few things together, Surrender. Get honest with God today. And believers, say, yes, he has saved me. Then help us to hear those words from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Have you lost your first love? We're right back where we started this message. We're reminded to remember And Jesus says, well, you're really fighting and you really got all that going on and your doctrine and all that, Ephesian church, but I have a problem. You've lost your first love. So here's the way back. If you're away from God this morning, you say, yes, I have confessed him as my Lord, but I'm away. Jesus says, remember, repent, and come back, return. Return. Go back to where you started, in love. And it's just a response to his love. Will you stand together this morning? I'm going to pray. This is an opportunity for you. If you've never trusted in Christ, take that step. If you know, yes, I have been saved, and I need to take that first step of obedience and publicly proclaim my faith in Christ and follow in baptism, hey, that opportunity is coming. We're going to baptize the first Sunday of May. Talk to me, talk to one of the elders after the service. At the Welcome Center, they can help you. But don't leave saying, hmm, that's interesting. I'm gonna get back to that. This needs to be resolved in every one of our hearts and lives right now because not one of us can say, tomorrow I will anything. You've been given and I've been given right now, today, the present Let's respond to this message in a a way that is worthy of the Lamb. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your church. And thank you for your spirit. Thank you that right now you are ready and willing and able to save anyone who has never turned from their sin and trust in you. I'm praying that today, right now, this Sunday, Easter Sunday, 2022, is the day when they stop running from you and they simply surrender their heart and their life to you, Lord. You're the only one that will not let us down and desert us and run from us and fail us. It's you, Lord. We love you because you loved us first. May we live in the light of this gospel for all our days. Use us for the honor and glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.